Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Mindset. I'm your host, Yolanda Gonzalez, former administrative fellow and current administrative director at Mass General Hospital, located in Boston, Massachusetts. I invite you to join me as I engage with leaders in various roles across the healthcare field to gain real-life insights into their work challenges, the skills that have helped them succeed, and advice on how to get started if this is a path for you. So what are you waiting for? Let's start the journey today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Leadership Mindset. Today, I am so excited to be with Michelle Troset and Tracy Christofferson, who are the co-founders of Missing Logic. They help healthcare organizations and healthcare leaders combat burnout through the power of a framework-driven approach founded on polarity intelligence. The core of their work is leading healthcare organizations through transformational change that results in the best place to give and receive care and for leaders to live their best lives, both personally and professionally. So Michelle and Tracy, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for having us. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. I want to hear from you both. What made the transition from working within the hospital to starting your own company? And, you know, were there certain challenges that you saw healthcare leaders having that led you towards this pathway? Well, when you work with healthcare organizations for, you know, well, probably at that point, almost 20 years, 20 plus years, you really begin to see the patterns, right? You start to see what every leader in all these different organizations is experiencing. And you see the commonalities amongst those challenges. And what we recognize is they were facing the same challenges over and over. And it was like Groundhog Day. Didn't we just fix this? Didn't we just work on this? You know, I thought we had this under control. And in our work in healthcare, what we realized was that these challenges weren't problems that could be solved. They were actually what we call polarities that have to be managed. And leaders were not using a polarity thinking logic Thus, the name of our company, Missing Logic. So we decided that when we left the corporate world, this was the biggest challenge leaders had, and they needed this competency to, to be able to identify a polarity. So a polarity is an interdependent pair of values or perspectives or even points of view. And they need each other in order to achieve a greater purpose. They appear to be opposite or contradictory to each other, but they're actually interdependent. And there's this energy that binds them together and there's a tension between them. So as an example, almost every healthcare organization has to manage the mission and margin polarity. You have to make money and you want to serve the people, right? (laughs) So they're both interdependent. You can't just do one. You have to do both or you won't have a viable healthcare system or healthcare organization. That's just a high level example. But they were dealing with these common challenges um, over the years. And so we wanted to bring this competency. And then COVID hit. (laughs) And, uh, and then we recognize that there, there were some very significant challenges happening for healthcare leaders at that point, and they needed support. So we shifted some of our attention to support the healthcare leaders. I like that example that you provided for polarity, because I feel like it definitely gets a visual in my mind and I'm a visual thinker. So it definitely solidifies that concept. Can you give an example at a personal level of polarities that could exist within a healthcare leader that you find they often struggle to 
balance interdependently? Sure. I think one that we see all the time now is balancing caring for self and caring for others. And um, you have to do both. And when you understand how that tension works, you really appreciate that if you overfocus on others too much at the neglect of caring for yourself, there will be negative consequences. And right now through COVID, that's definitely a strong pattern that we've seen. Um, leaders have been overextending themselves. They've been working nonstop. They've been, you know, trying to deal with the challenges and also caring for the front line, caring for their teams. And what we've learned about polarity is if you don't take the time to care for yourself, even if it's, even if at first you got to put your energy and your emphasis on, you know, caring for others, um, it will, you'll, you'll fail over time. Um, so that's a personal uh, polarity that leaders struggle with right now quite a bit. What does caring for self look like? Well, yeah, they can certainly look different for different individuals. Um, and I think that's one of the gifts that we bring is that through this polarity lens, we actually help people create a blueprint for what does it mean to me to care for myself? Like, what are the outcomes I want? And so the actions they take are dependent on the outcomes that they want. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the actions can look different for some people. It's really health, physical health for others. It may be more of their mental stability right now, right. That they need, it may be relationships, right. Taking care of self is really can be very broad. So it depends on where, what they really want. And the same thing for caring for others. What is it that I really want? What are the outcomes that I get from caring for others? And what actions do I take then to get those outcomes? So we help them kind of pair that up so it can look very, very different uh, mm -hmm. for individuals. You both have worked with a number of different leaders. So I would love to hear from you. Like, what do you find is the difference between those that are thriving versus those that are not? I mean, it sounds like you, you certainly do need to have this level of you know, caring for self and caring for others. Are you finding that there's other characteristics that could come up or maybe systems that leaders have put into place that help them thrive during tumultuous times? Yeah, well, I think one of the things, you know, that's a part of caring for self is overcoming some of the thinking that a leader has to sacrifice. So we've kind of been indoctrinated as leaders that everybody else comes before me. I sacrifice for the good of the organization, the patients we serve, you know, the clinicians I work with, and they kind of have that leaders eat last kind of mentality. So it's shifting their thinking about that is one of the things which aligns with, you know, putting themselves first. So thriving leaders prioritize their own health because you can't care for others, you're not going to be at your best if you're totally depleted. And I think one other thing that they do as well is they recognize they're a role model. Mm -hmm. So whatever they're living, healthy or unhealthy, they are role modeling that for those that are working with them, because you're always being watched as a leader. You're always, whether you realize it or not, people's eyes are on you. And so the ones that are thriving recognize that they are role models and that helps them to shift their behaviors and to be conscious, to make those conscious choices. I think so, like that really resonated with me is this uh, concept of servant leadership. And that's something I definitely have heard as well. What would you say are support structures that can help leaders change that mindset? What would you say are things that are missing that 
are preventing leaders from developing the sense of balance between these polarities in their work and personal lives. Well, I think what's missing is uh, the power of intentional coaching to actually help you reframe how you've looked at things. And one of the trends that Tracy and I have noticed is because this is a big challenge right now is there's a lot of webinars. There's a lot of education on resilience, personal resilience, combating resilience, but there really is not intentional coaching to walk them through how to totally reset their, their mind around this and have the tools and the resources to develop the blueprints that Tracy was talking about, to have the mindset to be a, what we now call a true leader, a thriving, resilient, unstoppable leader. And, you know, we were just talking to a healthcare executive today. There's familiarity with, you know, executive coaching, but we're working with her team and we're broadening it because of the value of coaching to transform, coaching to thrive, coaching to be resilient. So that's, that's something that is not real prevalent right now. And we see a big need for it. Is there anything else that you'd add that differentiates you from other coaching programs or uh, other frameworks that exist? Well, I think it's kind of our dynamic balance effect framework. That's kind of the core of our work in working with individuals within an organization. So it's really, there's a couple things here. One is we take kind of a, we like frameworks. We like that systematic approach, right? This no silver bullet here. You can't just do the education like Michelle said and expect everybody to just magically, right, transform or change. So you need infrastructures, processes, tools in place. You need to look at what you have and how you're using it. And at the individual level, the dynamic balance effect is not about 50-50. There's all of these tensions that we're experiencing, caring for self, caring for others, the tension between your personal life and your professional life, right? The, The difference between activity and rest is another tension, right? All of these lead to health and well-being. And we teach them how to dynamically balance that. So look at it through a whole different lens and approach it as a dynamic process. There's always going to be times where you have to give more attention to one part of your life than maybe the other, but we teach them how to manage that. So it's kind of more like a a Tai Chi kind of a flow, right? To their life versus, oh, I got to go over here and give more attention to this. Now, that's not working. I got to go over here and give attention to this. So the other mistake they make is they don't have a plan. So we're really helping them with these kind of these components and then rolling that also then into the culture of the organization. And what is the organization putting in place to really make sure that they continue to thrive, that they have all the things they need to support them. Mm. Say someone's like listening today, uh, who's in a leadership position, um, what would you encourage them about like the type of culture that they should be developing in their workforce? Like whether that's a small team, a large team, what are some like, how does that look like on an action level basis of some things that they can do now to begin setting that culture? uh, Sure, sure. Um, Well, I would think, first of all, what you said about the individual is really important. And um, when we work with healthcare organizations, we also have a framework called the Healthy Healing Organization or H2O framework. That's more at an organizational level. And the first pillar in that is people. So again, you have to hit that individual. And one of the things we would say to leaders that are listening right now is 
because the leaders are out there struggling, trying to keep their head above the water. The American Organization of Nurse Leaders just came out with a national year-long survey that 25% of nurses are not, nurse leaders are not emotionally well right now. Throw the life ring now, like put the systems in place now to help them and don't wait until it's too late because they're going to leave. They're going to be worse off from a well-being perspective. The other thing from a H2O perspective at the organizational level is we really guide them in looking at their processes and their infrastructures. What's helping them be a positive work environment? What's inhibiting it? What's getting in the way? And because of our experience, it's not hard for us to spot sometimes those things that can really help or hinder that work culture that that is uh, healthy. And then the last thing is performance. And Tracy and I are very committed to measuring these tensions. So we've identified um, some common, um, you know, just some common measurements that we actually can measure how well they are monitoring, measuring margin and mission and, uh, you know, technology and practice. There's several core competencies that impact the health and well-being of an organization that we do as well. I think, I think the other thing is um, to leverage the infrastructures that they have. So we have a lot of experience with, with kind of shared governance or council structures, but way, but leveraging them in a different way. And a lot of times organizations leverage them for operational pieces, like to have staff engaged, to work on, you know, improving care and quality and all of that is necessary. But when you can leverage an organ like that part of your organization, a structure like that to help clinicians develop dialogue skills, meaningful conversations with each other, when you can leverage it to help them develop healthy relationships with each other, that's what really starts the groundswell of an organizational culture change because you're engaging the people in, you know, kind of leading, being a part of the vision, leading their way, and they're learning how to be with each other in a much different way than a transactional kind of way that we typically can see in a healthcare organization and in a lot of other organizations as well, right? Mm -hmm. where it can be more about what can you do for me? And here's what I can do for you. But this is more about let's get to know each other as people. Let's humanize the organization and really develop some skills to be in relationship with each other in a much more meaningful and deep way and to communicate with each other that way on an ongoing basis too. I think those are really key, important skills. Mm -hmm. Why is setting a vision important for leaders and how do we take steps to be able to create a vision for ourselves, either in our work, our personal life, or maybe both? Great leaders have compelling visions, right? And they, they draw people forward. And right now, I think that is so needed mm -hmm. because everybody's stuck in the stuff, right? We're just stuck and we've been stuck here for a while and it's not getting better. And so it's so important to have somebody rise above that can see beyond where we are. And I think that's the power of a visionary leaders. They can see beyond the current reality and they can steer, you know, they stir up that energy and possibility and hope. And people need that, right? They need that right now more than ever, I think. Some people need to be rescued. <laughs> Definitely, they need a life ring. They need somebody to pull them out of the water. And that, so that has to happen too. But at the same time, right, it's that, 
that leader that knows there's more, this is opportunity, right? They have the, the glass is three quarters full <laughs> and they can see that there's a lot of opportunity and that energizes people. So I think a vision energizes people. It motivates them to move beyond where they currently are and to see the possibility. So I think that's why that's so important. And I think in an organization, it's just really important to just pause and think about what, what is it that we really want? Where is it that we really want to go and, and write it down, <laughs> right? Make sure you write, cause it's just a dream if you don't have it written down and then to really think about, is it clear, you know, and to be able to verbalize that to others in a very clear way as a leader, that's really important because they won't grasp the vision if you can't clearly articulate it. And, um, and, and once you verbalize it, it really becomes real. Mm -hmm. I mean, then it's more than just your vision, right? Now you're putting it out there to draw other people forward. And I think that applies, whether it's an organizational vision as a leader that you're painting for your team or the organization, but also for yourself. And so I think one of the things that we encourage people to do is create some space to do the visioning. So you have to, you know, find some quiet space let the vision kind of come to you. And I always say too, break it down. People can get overwhelmed about a vision. Like they think it has to be this grandiose thing, right? And, oh, they get like, kind of like, you know, shell-shocked thinking about trying to do that. But if you really think about it from a, from a personal level, the different aspects of your life, what do I want for my family? What do I want for my career? What do I want in my spiritual life? What do I, and break it down and just have a couple sentence about what you really want your vision for what that is in your life. It will be just put those all together and you have a vision. <laughs> so, you know, it can be that simple. Um, and then we teach people to do that and it's very effective. You both have helped a number of different leaders with setting goals. I love setting goals. I totally agree with you that writing them down. It's pretty cool to go back and look and say like, Oh, I like, I hit that. And like, I wrote it down or then you see maybe one or two that you didn't, um, that certainly happens too. So I am really curious to hear from both of you, like, what are your tips or tricks that you've learned when it comes to goal setting? Well, we have two different ways we help leaders set goals and we are living examples that we've been doing this for quite a while ourselves is, um, I would say there are structured goals. So what are our goals? We break everything down into 90 day cycles and we coach leaders to do that as well. Again, that helps with break it down and then look at it from your professional life and your personal life and, and then break it down into a daily basis. Um, that really helps with goal setting. And then you can reevaluate every 90 days. Some may stay on, some may fall off. And um, so that's very effective. The other thing that we do is we do help them to dream big too. Like you've got to get out of your, just what's right in front of you. So Tracy, you know, alluded to that. We do visioning um, different uh, strategies for them to come up with their vision statement. But we also work with leaders on creating 101 wishes every year. So this is really thinking if I could have anything I want, what would be, what would I want that to be? And it's been really so much fun because some leaders love it. And some leaders are like, oh my gosh, I can't get past 25. <laughs> So, uh, but it, it is, it's more of that big picture, big, big picture. And so we do both. Yeah. I think it's really helping them get out of the box. Yeah. You know, 
if you have a box over your head, that's all you're seeing, right? Like you got to get out of the box in order to see, you know, how you can move forward. And so I think that's a great example of how we do that is really stretch them, you know, because your goals should stretch you. Mm -hmm. They should take you outside your comfort zone. And sometimes we just limit our goals to what we think is practical. You know, what I think I can do, you know, and really you can do anything you want to do if you really want to do it. Right. So you got to push yourself. You got to stretch your imagination on what's possible for you. And I think that's a great exercise and a way to do that. And, and as we do the 90 day goals each week, when Michelle and I meet, we talk about what are our goals for this week? Like how does what we're doing this week apply to that 90 day goal? So we're always have it in front of us. That's a key thing. You got to keep your goals in front of you. I think, you know, a lot of us, of course, have had, you know, set our performance goals for the years, leaders, right? And then you're like four weeks before the eval going, I guess I better pull that out and look at what I said I'd do, right? <laughs> so no, you're not going to get there that way. So that's why it's important to have the big goals, but then chunk it down again. So it's doable. And on a day-to-day basis, your actions are 15, 20 minute actions. They're not big, huge things that you have to do. They're tiny they're t- the tiny boulders, right? The tiny pebbles that really get you to the bigger outcomes. Yeah. My comment there is uh, I'm amazed. And I say this partly reflecting on myself too, at how many boundaries or barriers we can set on ourselves. And sometimes we, we end up being like our own worst enemy just because I'm like, oh yeah, like no one told me I couldn't do this. It was more so just something that I kind of just had in my head or never really thought to think outside of that. And I do think it does take like someone prompting you and asking you these questions to help you think outside of that. When you're having these conversations with leaders, what do you think are the biggest things that get in the way, maybe besides themselves, uh, from like achieving their goals or gets in the way of meeting their goals? Well, I'll tell you one of the things that I realized, um, is it's their identity. Mm. You have to be the person that's going to take the action to achieve the goal. And sometimes we set a goal for ourselves, but we're not being the person we need to be to take the actions that are going to achieve that goal. So as an example, sometimes you need to just be bold, right? You got to take risks. If you're not a risk taker and you're not being bold, you're not going to take the risk you need to take to get to the outcome that you want to have. So I think for, for me that when I wasn't making goals, that's -hmm. what I realized, wait a minute, I'm not being the person that needs to do the things that have to happen to get there. And so that was a really big realization for me. That's a part of what we coach people around is being the person that's going to do the things. Cause most of what we have is based on our actions. So if you don't have what you want, you're not doing what you need to do to get it, but you first have to be the person who will take the action. So it becomes kind of like your own, you know, self-identity. You have to kind of recommit to being that person that is commitment is another one. You won't achieve your goals if you're not committed. Sometimes you have to be relentless, right? It just depends on what it's called for and just really you know, sinking into that and embracing that characteristic so that you can be it. Many times, if you think about leaders, a lot of times people saw people as leaders before they saw it in themselves, 
right? Like a lot of his like, well, you know, like I think she'd be a great leader or he'd be a great leader. Would it be great for this role? Because they're already exhibiting the characteristics of a leader. They're already being the leader before they have maybe a formal position as a leader. So that's an example of how that can kind of show up. The other thing is um, to, to really leverage their relationships too, to help them with their goals. Um, a lot of times leaders keep their goals to themselves. They really don't leverage their personal relationships in that way. They don't, and, and also um, their professional relationships. And so who can help you? Uh, who has other strengths that you don't have that you need to accomplish this goal? How do you get them working with you. Uh, we've had healthcare leaders that have shared their goals and their, you know, their visions with their, their spouses. And it was the first time they ever really did it that way. And they're like all excited and on board with them to like make big changes. So it's sharing it too, I think sometimes could get in the way. Mm, those are all really, really powerful to think about. And I agree. I think that, um, I think, especially in healthcare, like there's no way you can do it alone. And I, we always say so many times, like it takes a village, it takes a village to, you know, provide the care that we do to make it through each day and day. And I think that that's, uh, that's something that's often we sometimes can forget about. I know I, there's so many times that we want to just, we have the mentality of like, oh, I can just do this myself or I don't want to burden other people. Yeah. It's kind of gets back to that kind of mentality we we're thinking about earlier, but a lot of times like we're in healthcare and it's, people are so willing to help from what I have found. Oh mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. And, and they see you in ways you don't see yourself too. Right. So yeah. they can see a strength in you. You don't see in yourself, yes. you know, to help you move through something or to help you achieve that goal that you've set as well. So, and I think that's been something missing. People are longing for connection and community. And I think that's a benefit of what Michelle and I have been bringing is bringing teams of leaders together and then bringing leaders together from across the country as they're longing to be, to support each other. They're longing for connection and community. And, and we've been so isolated from each other over the last 20 months, right? Like, you know, so they're, they're really longing for that and they highly value it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something, Tracy, and you talked a little bit about characteristics of a leader. And I know that I know so many amazing clinicians and uh, administrators that uh, really just dedicate their lives to healthcare. And I, I think that it's, um, it's something that certainly like stands out. And I'm just, but I'm also curious, you know, now with everything that we've learned and kind of what you're learning throughout these conversations and in the work that you do, when you imagine that current healthcare leader or future healthcare leader, what are some of the um, mindsets, characteristics that they embody for their for themselves and for their teams? Well, I think it kind of goes back to full circle with what we started with Yolanda. They put themselves first and it's not selfish. And they, um, they really prioritize that as a leader so that they can be strong, so that they can be a good role model. And they're willing to change the norms. Because um, so often, again, the stories we tell ourselves, we feel pressured to stay late at work. You know, what will my peers think? Every They're not going home. Why should I go home? Or we, it's going to take leaders to just really say enough is enough. 
if I'm going to be the best leader I can be, I do need to put myself first and I do need to take care of myself so that I can be there for others. And we know that's going to be changing some cultural norms um, and some patterns that leaders have had for a long time um, that are going to need to be broken. And I think that's another reason why we have found coaching really helps with that. They do the right thing. Not necessarily do things right, right? But they do the right thing. So they're not afraid to take a stand. They're not, you know, they are um, trailblazers. Mm -hmm. If they see what needs to be done and they know it's the right thing, they move it forward no matter what, right? They do what has to be done to get people where they are, where they need to be. And I think the other thing I would say is they're Mm self-integral. So they're walking their talk. You know, and I find so many leaders are talking the talk, you know, to the clinicians and here's what you need to do. And here's what, but they're not doing it. So they're not integral with their own word around what need, what they need to do and, you know, what's going to support them and the team. And so I think they're self-integral and people see that, right. And they, they, well, they could do that. I can do that. I mean, she really walks her talk and, or he does. Right. And um, I think that's a, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. I love that we brought it back full circle. And I think that is the main takeaway. And um, it's something that sounds, you know, this, this notion of self-care, it's like, sometimes it, it sounds so easy, but in a way, like it's, it's so challenging. It's so hard. And I do, I definitely, you know, agree with the points of like having someone there to help intentionally point that out and help you come up with a vision and a plan for yourself is so important. Over the course of your careers, I mean, you you both have spent, you know, 30 plus years in healthcare. If you had one or two top lessons that you've learned, apart from like the, how important self-care is, like what are something that you would share from your experiences with our audience today? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is relationships are everything and um, don't underestimate the power of a good mentor or someone just that there's just a spark when you meet them and kind of follow that hunch. And it's amazing how you go back and you can see um, how those relationships uh, sometimes come up again. So I think relationships are really important. And the other thing is just everything's connected and that every step there, it, there, you'll look again, when you look back, but you have to trust it going forward. But I would definitely say everything's connected, including to how Tracy and I met in hospital orientation was connected. <laughs> there you go. That divine intervention. <laughs> so I would say we live our choices. We always have a choice and we live them every day. So, you know, I think right now people don't feel like they have a choice, but we always have a choice and you will live the results of the choices that you make. So make really good choices, right? Make choices that are going to serve you. Um, And I would say the other thing is that not every problem can be solved, (laughs) that many problems are these polarities. They have to be managed and we can't, we can't solve every challenge. So to be able to differentiate between something that is a problem I can solve And this tension that I have to manage is a critical skill for leaders, but for everybody in their lives, because these are like gravity. They're always there. They're always working on us, whether we recognize them or not. So it's a really important thing. Mm. 
I know that your message will definitely resonate with our audience today. And if we have listeners who want to learn more about you both or the services that you provide, what are the best ways that someone can connect or learn more about about you? Sure. Well, go to our website, missinglogic.com. And we also have a podcast. It's a top leader podcast um, called Healthcare's Missing Logic. So you can hear Tracy and I banter on the podcast waves as well. (laughs) And uh, then we're also on, you know, we're on social media and we'll give you all that for your listeners, Yolanda. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So people can get a hold of us that way as well. And we have a YouTube channel too. And yes, it's new. So I keep forgetting that, but we do have a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And yes, we will definitely be sharing those links so our audience can find out more. And I always, at the end of every interview, I have what's called rapid fire closing questions. And these are really meant to be questions where we get some quick responses from you. And it's meant to get, it's meant for our audience to get to know you both a little bit better. So first question that's up is what can we find you doing on most days outside of work? Well, this is Michelle. I would say just being with my family. Um, my husband, and I love to entertain and we have three adult children and, um, a step, a, a stepdaughter, daughter-in-law, and they love hanging out with us. So that's, that's where you'd find me. And this is Tracy. I'm either on the lake or in, on the golf course. Love it. Love it. Who is someone that you admire and why? I really admire Dr. Brene Brown. And I love the way that she's taken her research around some pretty heavy topics, vulnerability, emotion, shame, and she has made it so real for people. And that's her intention. She wants to be non-theoretical. And I can really relate to that because Tracy and I want to do that with polarity intelligence. We want it to be very real. I, I, I love her work. She's inspirational. And I'm going to say my son, Dr. Daniel Carlson, and he's at the University of Utah, and he's really my inspiration. I'm a PhD candidate, so he's one of my inspirations for getting my PhD, and he's just making such a significant impact in um, just in gender inequalities and the consequences and challenges of um, you know partners as they make decisions, and so um, I'm just really proud of him. Well, hopefully he's going to be tuning in so he can hear that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you, either of your sports fans, but we'll find out what is your favorite sports team to cheer on? Well, being from Michigan, (laughs) um, I love watching the Detroit Tigers and especially like when they get in the playoffs, you know, I just, I I love cheering the Tigers on. (laughs) Yeah. And so I like the Tigers too, but I'll say the Red Wings because I'm a big hockey fan too. And you have to, you don't want to be around me when I'm cheering on the Red Wings. (laughs) I get pretty emotional. (laughs) Really loud. That's when you know know someone's true self, just to get them in front of their favorite uh, sports team. (laughs) I actually, you know, this is, uh, I don't know if this is a fun fact. Maybe this is just a fact, but I actually have not been to a hockey game in person. So it's on my list of things to do. I've heard a lot of great things about hockey, but yeah, yeah, it is so much fun. It's so fast. Everything counts and it's so exciting. That's what I like about it. 
I'll put it on my list of things to do. Um, What is a book, uh, article, or a podcast recommendation that you can share with our audience today? Well, this is Michelle. Of course, the first thing that pops into my head is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, (laughs) (laughs) which is also now, you know, on YouTube. So you can not only listen to it, you can actually watch Tracy and I at the same time. I would recommend that. And I would say Atomic Habits by James Clear. And because we get our habits, we not only get our choices, we get our habits. And that's been a profound lesson for me is how impactful our habits are, our conscious and unconscious habits. So that's why I would recommend that book. Great. And the last question that I have is, what is the best advice you've received that you can share with listeners tuning in today? I think the best advice I ever got is to live and lead with your strengths. Don't try to do something you're not good at. Don't be frustrated. Don't live in the drudgery zone. Just know what your strengths are and lead with them. And I would say, let go of anything that doesn't serve you. So don't hang on to the things in your life that are not moving you in the direction that you want to go in or that are not aligned with who you are um, at the deepest level. Just let go of anything that is not taking you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Sounds like both of that, both of your advice is really geared towards just, you know, being true to oneself. Yeah. And part of that goes back to the work that we all just spoke about, you know, being able to know yourself well, um, kind of know where you fall and, and what you need to do to be leading at your best. So yeah. Michelle and Tracy, we will definitely have those links out there. I would encourage our listeners to go check out their podcast. I've learned a lot from our conversation and I just want to thank you both for participating in today's discussion. It was really fun to talk to you both today. Well, thank you. And we think what you're doing is wonderful too. And we enjoy your podcast. So we really appreciate you having us as guests. Yes. Thank you. It was a joy, really a joy to be here.